hi, this is Glenn Rawson. One of the most powerful ways to share history and heritage is by the telling of stories. We began sharing inspiring stories nearly 30 years ago. Each of those stories is true and was intended to inspire and strengthen faith. Over the years, those stories have reached millions around the world. This podcast is for you to listen, learn, and enjoy. Early in the Savior's ministry, he took occasion to travel from Judea to Galilee by way of Samaria. Now, as you know from your Sunday school classes, most Jews at that time considered the Samaritans the lowest class of human being on the earth because they were a mixed breed of people, and they would not associate with them. Not even most of them would they travel through the land of Samaria, but they went around it to the east through the Jordan Valley. But Jesus, pressed by a need that we don't know, journeyed on the forbidden soil of the Samaritans, went right up the road through Samaria. Now, around noon, Jesus and the twelve stopped at a place called Jacob's well. It was hot. Jesus was tired, wanted to rest. The disciples went away into the nearby village to buy food, and Jesus rested on the edge of the well. You know the story. A woman approached the well carrying a water pot. Jesus said to her, Give me to drink. Recognizing that he's a Jew, the woman is shocked that he has broken custom and even spoken to her. That was against the law. How is it, she inquires, that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, who am a woman of Samaria? Now, it seems right here that Jesus sets aside his thirst momentarily and focuses on the woman and the teaching opportunity afforded him. He replies, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Clearly, the woman doesn't understand what he means. She literally thinks he's talking about water and pots. But Jesus, of course, is speaking figuratively when he says living water. So patiently and gently, the master leads her to a point of spiritual readiness where she is now prepared to be taught the gospel. Then abruptly, Jesus says to this woman, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman replies, presumably in ashamed truth, I have no husband. And now, perhaps, we see why she is coming to draw water in the heat of the day, when there's no other person at the well, because of her shame and her guilt. But Jesus knew and understood. Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidst thou truly. I love this part of the story. The woman, figure it out, was grossly unworthy. Her life had been one of poor choices and many mistakes. Yet, does the master turn her away? 
Does he deny her or deem her unworthy of his love and of his help? No. In fact, in bold and undeniable terms, he declares to her in one of those rare instances that he ever did it, that he was the Messiah. He didn't tell just anybody that. So impressed and converted was the woman that she ran back to the village and brought many Samaritan souls out to hear Jesus, and they too were converted. Now, I conclude from this story that I don't need to reach a certain level of worthiness to receive the Lord's love and to receive the Lord's help. That's why he's the Savior, because he can save me anytime, anywhere, and in any pitiful condition I'm in if I am willing to soften my heart and be helped. If you stop and think about what we want to be and where we want to be and what we are now at the present time, think about it. None of us. None of us is worthy. Not a single one of us in our present state can stand in the Lord's presence in exaltation. We still need work. We still need refining. We still need perfecting. We still need a Savior. Whether you're this far down or this far up, we're never going to be without a need for a Savior. One last thing. If in your efforts to live your religion and be perfect and be obedient, as so many of you conscientiously do, if in your efforts to do so, you take all the joy and fun out of life, well, you're not doing it right. And that's not what the Lord wants. To have compassion is to feel an emotion that combines love and pity. Please let me repeat that. To have compassion is an emotion that combines love and pity. This story is about the compassion of Christ and when and where it was seen. One day, the Savior was approaching a beautiful mountain village called Nain. Been there. A large crowd accompanied Jesus, including many of his disciples. As they neared the village of Nain, they came upon a funeral procession. Many of the people filed in mourning with the grieving mother. The man being buried was her only son, and she, tragically, was a widow. Now listen, Jesus saw her and he perceived the situation immediately. As always, concerned with the plight of the widow, the Savior was filled with tender compassion for her, and he said, Weep not. He turned from her and touched bare her son's body. Those who carried him stopped when he did this. Jesus then shocked the bystanders and said, Young man, I say unto thee, arise. The dead man sat up 
and began to speak. Can you imagine what happened with the onlookers? Luke then records these most meaningful words. And Jesus delivered him to his mother. Oh, what a gift. What a gift of joy he gave that mother. A worshipful reverence came upon the people, and they glorified God and proclaimed that God hath visited his people. Now, just for a moment, step back from the story. Why did Jesus go there? Why did Jesus do this? Did Jesus perform such miracles every time there was a need and in every place? No, evidently he didn't. So why was the lost son returned to the widow? All that the record says, it was simply because the Savior had compassion on her. He felt sorry for her, and giving her back her son was the greatest eternal good at that moment. In his time, it was the widow of Nain who was singled out and so blessed. In our time, maybe it's you. We don't know all the reasons why the Lord does what he does, but whether you get your miracle or not, our God is a God of compassion. He doeth not anything, save it be for the benefit of the world. He always does the greatest good for the most people for the longest time, and he is always just and fair in his dealings. Some of us don't get the miracles we want. Does he care any less about us? Absolutely not. His love and compassion are perfect and ever-present. And if your miracles don't come now, a God who makes all things fair will make all things just, right, and fair. You know, there are some problems that arise in our lives that are just beyond the scope of our ability to solve. And I think a wise and loving father has made sure of that. Alma said to his son, Cry unto God for all thy support. Let thy thoughts be directed unto the Lord. Let all thy thoughts be directed unto the Lord continually. To me, that means if we're going to get through this life successfully, and that doesn't mean without problems, we're going to need to be consumed in Christ. I think a wise and loving Heavenly Father has made sure that in our time, his children would be tested commensurate with their abilities. If we could, if we could solve every problem, answer every question in our day, and cope with every crisis, what need would we have of him? There is a much better world waiting for us than this one. Thronged by a crowd, Jesus followed the anxious Jairus from the shores of Galilee up through the streets, evidently of Capernaum, on an errand to heal Jairus's dying daughter. Within that crowd was a woman 
afflicted with an incurable disease. In seeking a cure, this woman had spent all the fortune she had, and now, after twelve years, was still not healed, but rather made worse. She was more sickly than ever. Somehow, she had learned, and the record doesn't tell us where or when, she had learned of the great healer, and she made a determination that she would go to him and seek a blessing. But, because of the nature of her illness, which was an issue of blood, she was ashamed to ask for his help. Therefore, as Jesus passed in the crowd with Jairus, going towards Jairus's house, she said to herself, If I may but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be whole. She pushed her way through the crowd, and from behind, she touched the master's robe. Immediately, there was a tangible surge of power that flowed throughout that woman's body. She was fully healed from that very moment. Filled with emotion and gratitude, she dropped back into the crowd out of sight. But Jesus stopped, turned around, and scanned the crowd. Who touched me? he asked. Now, in effect, Peter responds on behalf of the twelve. There are all these people pushing and shoving, and you're asking, who touched me? And Jesus says, I perceive that virtue hath gone out of me. In the footnote, virtue from the Greek translates as power. He makes it clear that this touch was different from any of the others in the crowd because the woman had drawn out of him his power. The woman, knowing that she was discovered, came forward, fell down at the master's feet, and confessed what she had done. With kindness and tenderness, Jesus commended her for her faith. Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. Now, this woman felt unworthy of him, yet she compelled herself forward, driven by an overwhelming sense that she simply had nowhere else to go. That is how we exercise faith. We push ourselves toward him, especially when we don't want to. We don't feel like it or we don't feel worthy. And now, as then, there will come power into our lives, the power to heal, the power to change, but it will only come if we get close enough to touch. There is power, not of this world, in the Lord Jesus Christ. After all the stories we've talked about, there yet remains one story about the Savior, perhaps more important than any other. This is a story that needs to be heard, studied, pondered, contemplated, prayed about, and understood by anyone who has ever wrestled with the bitterness of guilt, the blush of shame, and the anguish 
of regret. Anyone who's ever felt burdened and inadequate or worthless, anything that you've ever felt that life has put upon you, this story is for you. After the singing of a hymn, Jesus and the Twelve left the upper room of the Last Supper and made their way out of Jerusalem, across the Kidron Valley, and up the Mount of Olives. He entered the Garden of Gethsemane, a place where olives were grown and then crushed under intense pressure to extract their life-sustaining oil. Jesus invited the three apostles, Peter, James, and John, to go with him into the garden and to tarry and watch. He then went about a stone's throw away from them and collapsed face first to the ground, praying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. After some time in prayer, we don't know for sure how long, Jesus returned to the three apostles, and interestingly enough, they have fallen asleep. Jesus woke them. What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Jesus left them and went again, and in incomprehensible physical and spiritual agony, brought on by the sins of all mankind and the onslaught of all hell itself, he bowed beneath the load and prayed, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. Luke records that there appeared unto him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And the scripture records, and being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When Jesus returned the third time, the apostles were again asleep. Shortly after that, Judas came and betrayed the master with a kiss. Jesus was arrested and with a rope around his neck was led away, where he was put on trial, mocked and condemned, and eventually led to the cross where his atoning sacrifice, his preparations, were completed. I have often pondered what happened in the garden that night, combined with what happened on the cross. The Savior took upon him in that garden and the cross the sins, the pains, the sicknesses, the weaknesses and infirmities of his people. He bore our sins, all of them, he suffered the punishment, not only the guilt and regret we feel in this life, but all that hell could throw at him on our behalf from the next life. He bore us. 
every pain, every illness, every weakness, every bit of anguish and guilt and pain, everything that has afflicted us, he bore us. His atonement was an infinite burden of sin and an endless stream of individuals. For that moment in time, he who knew no sin and guilt became for us the greatest of all sinners. Truly, he is our compassionate high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He understands us. He can help us as no one else can. By virtue of his precious blood, shed from every pore of his body, he stands between us and justice, pleading our cause eternally. He is our deliverer. He is the ultimate and eternal rescuer. He will save us. He can save us. He is mighty to save. The stories I've told you are not legends of long ago and far away. They are vital truths. They are truth. They are history. His atonement is an active principle so intimate and intertwined with our daily existence that even now, if we understood, we would fall in profound gratitude for what he has done, for what he is presently doing for us, and for what he will yet do. More than anything, this humble disciple of the Savior wants to see everyone who is feeling overwhelmed, burdened, and perhaps hopeless, to have hope, to get up, and to keep going and keep trying. I have some idea of just how much he cares and how much he will help even you. In conclusion, may I bear just a simple, humble testimony. Jesus Christ lives. He is our Savior, our Redeemer. He is our way in this life. He is the truth in this life. And he is the life, the way, the truth, and the life. He's the life we want to live. He is the abundance of life. Every good thing you want is in him. Every good thing you want with family, love, power, and joy, and truth, it all comes eternally from him. All good things are found in him. And I witness to you that he loves us and that he's trying. He's doing everything he can to save you and to save your family. We just have to allow him to do so. I witness to you that Jesus Christ is the greatest friend you have ever had. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. 
Thank you for listening. Many of the stories you heard today have been published and are archived at glenrossonstories.com. If you would like more information, you can communicate with us there. We will be back again with another podcast next week.